CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Pod. Wow, what a week. Even veteran journalists say they've never seen another week like this one, where the political scene raced from whistleblower complaint to denial to admission to cover-up to document release all the way to impeachment. And along the way, a veteran intelligence uh, officer warned warned that the president was abusing his presidential authority for personal political gain, The White House tried to lock up evidence of Trump's call with the president of Ukraine. Nancy Pelosi finally said, enough's enough. And the president suggested that the whistleblower should be uncovered and hanged from the nearest tree, just like we used to do with spies and traitors. Can you believe it? And here today to give us their take on this truly historic week, She's the latest star in the constellation of political reporters at the Wall Street Journal, national politics correspondent, Sabrina Siddiqui. Hello, Sabrina. (laughs) Hello, how are you? All right, great to have you here. And she is always on the go, covering the national scene for Reuters as their U.S. election correspondent, Ginger Gibson. Ginger. Thanks for having me. Great to see you. Here he is, tracing the president, tracking the president and the White House every day for Bloomberg News, White House correspondent, Justin Sink. Hello, Justin. Hey, thanks for having me. So um, let me just try to sum up. This is is a fast-moving scene here this week has been and is yet already today. Um, To sum up, I think, what we know, just what we know, like the facts, that the president made a call, President Trump made a call to the President Zelensky of Ukraine, number one, number two, in that call, he asked him a favor, asked him to talk to Attorney General Bill Barr and Rudy Giuliani about um, digging into some corruption, alleged corruption on the part of Vice President Joe Biden when he was vice president. Three, in the same call, he did mention, without making it a direct quid pro quo, um, U.S. military promise of U.S. military aid to Ukraine. Four, an intelligence officer notified of that call uh, filed was so alarmed by it, he filed an official complaint with the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community. Um, five, un- against the law or not, the Director of National Intelligence did not inform Congress immediately of that whistleblower complaint or did not send the complaint to Congress. And five, we've learned that the White House um, locked up the words of that complaint or the essence of that complaint in a secure server where most people as normally could not, would not be able to see it. I think those are the facts. My question to our panel first is, is this serious or how serious is it for Sabrina? (laughs) Just a little softball to get us started. Uh, Look, this is incredibly serious. And I think that what separates this from the Russia investigation is It's all out there in the open. Uh, The president has himself acknowledged that he brought up Joe Biden while speaking to the Ukrainian president Mm -hmm. 
And then, of course, the summary that was eventually put out by the White House, in part because they were forced based off of what was out there in news reports, um, that summary went even further than what the president said. You saw the number of times he pressed the Ukrainian president to investigate Biden and his son and repeatedly offered assistance from not just his personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, but also his Justice Department. And now within a matter of days, we've seen this whistleblower complaint um, detailing efforts by the White House to bury the contents of this call. So it's a pretty clear or a, it's pretty clear evidence of collusion and a cover up, whereas there will be an investigation, but it's a little less mired in the two-year charade that we saw with Russia, which related to activities in the campaign. It wasn't necessarily an abuse of the presidency. It wasn't as clear-cut for people. This very much is. Uh, so, Justin, do you think it's serious, my question? And also, are you picking up the people at the White House think it's serious? Well, to kind of answer both of those questions, I think that... Uh, this is politically serious for the president and that it is a um, it, it's a situation that Democrats are going to be able to bring up time and time again. They're going to be able to launch investigations uh, off of. They're going to be able to pull people up onto Capitol Hill to testify about what the president says behind closed doors. Um, and it's succinct enough, right? Even though the, the details are a little complicated, the, the underlying thought is the president is using his office to go after his political enemies. All those things are really damaging to President Trump. But, and this is a huge caveat, the basic math hasn't changed. Senate, the Republicans still control the Senate. We haven't heard a single Republican do anything other than express mild concern about the president's behavior on these calls. So uh, I think especially because Nancy Pelosi sort of endorsed the impeachment, uh, a formal impeachment inquiry, there's a sense among some that, that this is going to lead to President Trump leaving office, and I would put up a huge caution flag there. It, it just kind of creates uh, a situation where Democrats can have a platform and an issue uh, to highlight what they see as unacceptable behavior headed into the 2020 elections. But I, I don't see this yet as something that's breaking into... Um, an, an existential threat to his presidency. And I think the White House is... is Removing him. In other words, the ultimate end here would not be that he would be out of office, is what you're saying. Exactly, and I think the so, White House is... So, Ginger, is on, on Morning Joe, uh, this morning, we are here on Friday, September 26th, about 8.30 a.m. Um, Speaker Pelosi told... Um, 27, sorry. Uh, Speaker Pelosi told um, Morning Joe that she, she described it as this. They said, what's the essence of this? And she said, a president of the United States used taxpayer dollars to shake down a foreign leader for his political own political purposes. I think we're watching Nancy Pelosi show that she learned a lot from the process of the Mueller investigation. Early on in that process, her and other Democratic leaders were saying, look, Trump just openly in interviews admitted to obstructing justice. Um, but they let this whole process play out and it was two years. And at the end of it, they said, OK, well, we still think he just openly admitted to obstructing justice, but we're not going to do anything about it because it's been two years and we've lost all our momentum and it's all gone. So we just kind of have to move on. This 
this time, Nancy Pelosi said, I see um, something that she thinks is is a wrongdoing or a crime by the president, and she's not going to have two years of investigations, and she's not going to have on and on in reports and 500 pages, and does anyone read it? She's going to act now. And I think that's the big difference that we're seeing in this Congress. Now, have no doubt, Trump has learned a lot of lessons from the Mueller report, uh, and we all woke up to his flurry of text messages. Uh, his chopper talk moment on Thursday afternoon was just swing and swing and see if you can hit someone. Um, so he's acting differently than he did the last time. Um, but she has she has changed her methods, um, lessons learned. And I think Justin's right. I don't think many people think that the ultimate outcome here is the Senate removes him from office. We're a long way away from that. Um, and a lot of dominoes have to change that, that are not currently set up to fall over. Um, but uh, it can be politically damaging anyway. Um, Especially when I go out and talk to voters across the country, um, there is a fatigue with chaos. There's just a fatigue that they want calm again. And if people feel like this is just more chaos, uh, there's some real political risk there for them. And by the way, Chairman Adam Schiff said yesterday on, on NPR um, that this one, one thing that's different about this and any other impeachment inquiry is they're not looking for the smoking gun. The smoking gun is out there. And I think that that's where the difference really lies when you when you look at Russia. And I didn't mean to earlier suggest that the allegations within the Russian investigation weren't serious or weren't credible. The mm -hmm. challenge was people were wrestling with how to treat activities during the campaign where they couldn't draw a direct line to the president. His associates were repeatedly communicating with the Russians, but they couldn't find what they believed would be a smoking gun where there was clear evidence that the then candidate Trump was directly involved in some kind of conspiracy. Uh, and then there were all of these examples of possible obstruction of justice, according to the Mueller report. But by the time the, the, the report was released, the administration had done a fairly effective job of spinning the public by preemptively mischaracterizing what was in it. And we all know Mueller maybe did not deliver the best, uh, mm -hmm. the most digestible testimony on Capitol Hill this time. The smoking gun is right there for everyone to see. And the president, I think it's important to just point out that he is not denying it. In fact, he's trying to normalize the behavior. That's the strategy. He said everybody does it. And I think back to that interview he had with ABC News in June, where he said if a foreign government were to offer him assistance, were to give him dirt on a political opponent in 2020, would he take it? And he said, sure. And he's like, I don't know if I'd call the FBI. Maybe, maybe not. He's shown repeatedly that he's willing to part engage in what everyone widely would tell you is an abuse of his executive power. But he wants to try and, I think, change the standards for what is and isn't acceptable in the presidency, in part because the Russia investigation and the reluctance of Democrats to go down the impeachment path, or even in an inquiry, an inquiry when they had enough to launch an inquiry, that allowed him actually to change the standards of what people are willing to accept from the office of the presidency. Now, at the ballot box, I think that really remains to be seen. So let, let me just cut to the chase here. Um, how many people at this table believe that the president... I'm not talking about thrown out of office by the Senate, convicted in the Senate. How many people believe here that the president will be impeached in the House? I think when that train starts moving, it's going to be really hard to stop. 
Um, I'm not sure. Is it the train already moving? I mean, that's what I'm saying. The train's moving, and it's going to be hard to stop. The political calculation for Pelosi and her members is going to be, do you force these moderates who are still on the fence uh, to take a vote that they may find kind of uncomfortable? Or do you risk looking like you just uh, couldn't get anything done because the whole thing peters out? And I think that it's going to be driven in part uh, by polls we start to see in the next uh, week or so. If but- they can convince the American public to get behind him. I, absolutely, you don't stop the train. Yeah, I, I mean, the House is leaving for a two-week recess coming up right now, and I think that's going to be a big, decisive moment. Democrats are going to go back into their districts, particularly those Democrats from swing areas, uh, the the real majority builders that, that came in in this most recent Congress, and they're going to hear from their constituents, and either their constituents are going to tell them, you know, uh, I'm so glad that you're finally going after Donald Trump, and this is what we elected you to to go into Congress and, and do. Or they're going to say, you know what, I do, I voted for Donald Trump maybe four years ago. I, I think that this is sort of an illegitimate pre- pressure. There, there's not going to be poll. Even the poll movement that we've seen recently still hasn't gotten to a majority of people supporting impeachment. And, and if they see that, I think there's a, a chance that... that uh, what we have seen kind of a growing momentum peters out and, and they don't push forward. I don't see how this doesn't end with a vote in the House of Representatives, especially because they have now taken this step that for many, at least Democratic voters, was long overdue uh, to, to the point that both Ginger and Justin just raised. We don't yet know how swing voters will react, but uh, a New York Times tracker shows that uh, this was as of yesterday, it may have even changed, 218 members of Pelosi's caucus support this impeachment inquiry. Now, an inquiry is not the same as a vote to actually mm-hmm. impeach the president, but there were only about 16 or 17 who were undecided. Um, and I think that a conversation I had with a Democratic strategist yesterday kind of hints at their strategy, which is Repub- they think Republicans are underestimating how much they're going to have to answer for this on the campaign trail. They want to do this fairly quickly, so that they can hold a vote and then force Senate Republicans to spend, you know, the next 10 months, not 8 to 10, 11 months, however long, depending on how long they spend on this impeachment inquiry, explaining to the public why they allowed the president's behavior to stand. Well, do you, you've mentioned a critical point here I wanted to ask you about, which is Republicans, whether, whether the Republicans will stand by Trump on this one. They have so far... Uh, there have been some challenges. This There's been a be- lot of people who said that they didn't read the report yesterday. I think if you, if you locked... Are, are, do you see any cracks in the dam here? No, but I think if you locked all of the Senate Republicans in a dark room where they couldn't see each other and you gave them a switch that said get rid of Donald Trump or don't get rid of Donald Trump, Donald Trump would be gone. Um, I think privately they would... They, many of them would like to see him gone. Now, when you turn the lights on and they have to put their name next to it, it becomes much more complicated. But because there's that scenario, wild as it may be, where we know that a lot of them don't like the guy, think he's hurting their party, thinks that he's doing damage to their cause, it makes it not impossible, right? I, I would, but it, it, it's like if it's one percent chance, I think that that's a lot, right? Like it's still really hard to get there. I don't. I just don't see them getting to a two-thirds majority in the Senate in a Republican-led Senate to remove the president from office. But they are defending Republicans many more seats. I think about twenty mm-hmm. to twenty-two seats in the Senate, and there are a lot of vulnerable incumbents, and that's why 
Democrats really wanting to try and turn the tables and, and have Republicans really be put on the defensive about this, who are going to have to find a way to toe that line they've been towing for so long. But in a presidential election year where the president is himself on the ballot, it's harder to just say, well, I disagree with him, but there's nothing we can do about it. The obvious answer is, well, you can either use the authority you have to remove him from office, or you can be candid about how we should vote in this next presidential election. And so, so you might have a few of these moderates just say, I'm going to vote my conscience, conscience, and so should you. But what, one important point to make here, there's nothing that compels McConnell to put it on the floor of the Senate. That he could just say, thanks, House, that was nice. Uh, I'm going to keep it, going. It, even in an impeachment inquiry? Even in an impeachment inquiry, the Constitution says the Senate shall have the power to try all impeachments. There's nothing that compels them. So McConnell could say it's too bad uh, of a vote for uh, Cory Gardner and Tom Tillis and Susan Collins, and so we're, we're going to just call this ridiculous and refuse to justify it with a process and, and Merrick Garland <laughs> an impeachment in the Senate until we get to Election Day. Well. Uh, Justin, what, there's a couple of other ancillary issues here, not small. One is that mentioned more than anybody in the complaint was Attorney General Bill Barr. Yeah. And uh, Donald Trump in his phone call, right, uh, offers him basically as the, he's a little hatchet man, right? We want to go after Joe Biden and so help. Talk to Bill Barr and put a plan together here. So I, I think it's important to begin this with the caveat that the Justice Department has said that, that Bill Barr wasn't aware of this offer, that he didn't <laughs> act on the offer, that he's never spoken to Rudy Giuliani about Ukraine, that he's never spoken to Ukrainian officials, I think, at all. And so th they make the argument that while the president offered his assistance as part of this investigation, uh, that he he was unaware of it and, and not really involved. Yet in it. even the fact that he did mentions him says a lot about what Donald Trump thinks about the Department of Justice. And we know that he got rid of Jeff Sessions in large part out of frustration of him not feeling like he was his guy, uh, yeah. somebody using the Justice Department to, to protect him. But the the reason that this is important is is twofold. One, it shows that the, the president is using even more of his sort of levers of power and, and office to pursue this goal of, of investigating Joe Biden and investigating the Democratic National Committee email hack uh, back to back to 2016. He's, he's offering up the Justice Department in support of that. So that's that that part is interesting. The second part that's interesting is that the Justice Department pre went out ahead and said, well, the president didn't, they, they offered this preliminary legal opinion that the president didn't do anything legally wrong on the phone call. And this is the same thing that they did in the aftermath of the mm -hmm. Mueller report where right. Attorney General Barr said, oh, no, uh, I've looked at this. I don't, I don't see obstruction of justice here. So there's nothing to worry about. And, and that was a real benefit to the president. It has not turned out that way this time because Barr was specifically mentioned himself this is why Jeff Sessions recused himself in the Mueller investigation, because he knew that if he was put in a position where he had to evaluate the president's behavior and was tied up in the entire scheme, that, that nobody would take him seriously. And the Attorney General Barr is now finding the same problem, which is, yes, uh, the Justice Department has issued this opinion. No, there's not going to be some sort of criminal prosecution of the president. But nobody takes that exoneration seriously because the attorney general himself was 
sort of offered up in this phone conversation. And we don't, and we wouldn't have known about the exoneration had it not been for this all coming to light, where I think, to Justin's point, there's nothing at the moment directly tying William Barr to this possible investigation by the Ukrainians of Joe Biden, other than the president offering up his attorney general. But he was at least willing to participate in efforts to delay the delivery of this complaint to Congress and chose within his department not to investigate the allegations, which a lot of people see as possibly implicating the attorney general in this cover up. Mm -hmm. And because he has run interference for the president, as Justin pointed out on the Mueller report, I think the biggest challenge remains, as it has been time and again, that Attorney General William Barr and this administration have a serious credibility problem. And so as this is litigated, it's going to be, I think, really difficult for people to buy the ever-shifting narrative that they've put forward about why they didn't think, as their own inspector general said, that this was not credible and of urgent concern and mm -hmm. something that should have immediately been put before members of the U.S. Congress. So before we take a break here quickly, the other person, of course, who is offered up as the liaison is... Rudy Giuliani. Yes, Rudy Giuliani, who... Um, and how do we see his role? In, I mean, who described himself as a hero in all of this uh, this week. Uh, so hero Rudy Giuliani um, <laughs> has been quite open about his desire to dig dirt up about Joe Biden in the Ukraine. Um, this is another one of those examples where like none of this is a secret, right? There's no hidden secret uh, smoking gun when Rudy Giuliani has been telling us all for weeks that uh, they Trump... Biden should be investigated, um, as well as his son. I think that what uh, we see is a really unusual setup uh, with a private attorney. And, you know, when you talk about or you read how Trump talks about Giuliani and how he talks about Barr on these calls, I can't help but remember Michael Cohen and how Trump talked about Cohen when he was his attorney and the tasks that he gave Cohen when he was his attorney and the loyalty that Cohen has since said Trump commanded from his attorney. I think that's how Trump views the role of a lawyer. Um, you're to do all of these things for him and you're to execute all of these things. And he doesn't appear to quite understand that that's not uh, what an attorney general is. It's not your other attorney uh, inside the government when you've got one on the outside the government. And and that's the role he sees, he sees for Giuliani. So um, we didn't even get to the cover up yet. Um, <laughs> uh, but we will uh, after a quick break. It's a Bill Press Roundtable for this week. We are brought to you today by the great um, brotherhood of international brotherhood of Teamsters under the leadership of President Jim Hoffa. Uh, check out their website at teamster.org. You'll find out uh, that the Teamsters are involved in almost... Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. 
They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Every uh, facet of the American economy, as they say, they represent everybody from A to Z, everybody from airline pilots to zookeepers. Their website, again, is teamster.org. We salute them for their good work. Thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod Table. And we're back with uh, today's panel of uh, Justin Sink, and Sherry Ryan. I always want to mention, what did I call you? Ginger Rogers, right? Yeah, not Ginger Rogers. I wish I could dance that well. Ginger Gibson and Sabrina Siddiqui. So um, there's a cover-up and there's the crime. Some people, they always say, right, the cover-up is worse than the crime. Uh, In this case, (laughs) maybe not. Um, but it has been established that the White House tried to lock up any evidence uh, of this call, at least from most people, Sabrina. Those are the allegations contained within this whistleblower complaint, which the Trump-appointed Inspector General found to be credible and of urgent concern, as we pointed out. And I think that it's quite clear people within the White House, as they were aware of this phone call, they knew immediately that the uh, president, what uh-oh. they witnessed, was a likely abuse of his power and that it would be a constitutional problem, it would be a political problem, and therefore they locked it away. They locked it away um, into this sensitive system that where they didn't think, of course, uh, anyone would be, would be able to get back to its contents. It effectively, it tried to bury the contents of the call. Now, had it not been for the multiple officials, U.S. officials, who spoke to this whistleblower, and that bears repeating, although the whistleblower is not a direct witness to the events characterized, he spoke with, he or she, we don't know if it's a, he or she spoke with multiple members um, of the U.S. government uh, who clearly were concerned about a violation of the president's authority, um, and he saw a pattern, a pattern of consistency in what they characterized or sorry, he or she. Yeah. It's tempting to say I, he, which is a bad, right. bad uh, of gender. You know, I think the New York Times did identify him as a he. Oh, so good. That makes you feel is better. That, I, yes, that uh, does make me feel a little <laughs> bit better. <laughs> I don't have to turn in my so, feminist card. For no, you can keep it. He. <laughs> so, Justin, they wouldn't have tried to keep this secret unless they realized, uh oh, this could be a problem, huh? Yeah, I mean, uh, we have to caveat this 
definitely with this is what was in the whistleblower report, but we don't have sort of uh, outside cooperation of, of this being true. But if it is true, it suggests that at the very least, um, lawyers in the White House Counsel's Office were concerned about what the president's behavior and wanted to limit, uh, whether for political reasons or legal reasons, the, the access to this. And what what's really damaging about that is the whole rollout of the transcript earlier this week was premised on, hey, everybody, you're going to take a plain look at this and say, right, I don't see anything wrong. The president doesn't explicitly offer a quid pro quo. Um, the, right. you know, the if you read contextually, the Ukrainian president brings up Giuliani first. Uh, the, all these sort of excuses that are offered by the White House. But if the president's own attorneys and the people who know him well and work with him were alarmed by this, then the alarm that's been expressed by Democrats and, and normal sort of everyday people makes a lot more sense, and, and it suggests that there was some sort of ill intent there. Uh, and as, as Speaker Pelosi herself said, um, Ginger, this does certainly add a new dimension. Here's the speaker. The complaint reports, quote, repeated abuse of an electronic record system designed to store classified, sensitive national security information, which the White House used to hide information of a political nature. This is a cover-up. This is a cover-up. I think we're seeing um, sort of this now play out on, in two tracks, right? Um, this question of, of the conversation that Donald Trump had and then what his aides did to try to protect him afterwards. The call and the cover-up. And, and, you know, the New York Times had a, a report yesterday they got some criticism for uh, that seemed to identify uh, who the whistleblower was, or at least that they came from the CIA, um, and a description of sort of a process in which they, that whistleblower first went to the CIA's attorney and made an anonymous complaint, and then they... The, that attorney went back to the White House and said, I have this complaint before that whistleblower then went to the IG. Um, so they were finding out in real time um, that there was a complaint, that there was a problem. It didn't get, it was not a surprise to them, you know, last week when the IG made a recommendation. Um, and they were responding in real time. I think, you know, I think we've seen gut more presidents than this one overclassify and use the classification system for their own protection. And it's a problem in the White House and in the agencies. Um, but this is an example where um, really the president had no reason to be talking about his political opponent with another leader. And then they used the system to try to keep us from finding out about it. Uh, and finally, on the whistleblower, I guess we can say himself now. Mm. Um we don't know who he is. We think he worked for the CIA. Um, but there is always, if you look at the history of whistleblowers, and I've been a little, doing a little research lately, whistleblowers have always, since colonial times, by many people, been considered to be traitors. Um, and Donald Trump sort of picked up on that the other day, speaking to people at the U.S. mission uh, to the U.N. in New York. But basically, that person never saw the report, never saw the call, really never saw the call, heard something, and decided that he or she, whoever the hell it is, sort of like almost a spy. I want to know who's the person that gave the whistleblower, who's the person that gave the whistleblower the information? Because that's close to a spy. You know what we used to do in the old days when we were smart, right? With spies and treasons, right? 
we used to handle it a little differently than we do now. Sabrina, this comes just a couple of days after the president said that Joe Biden might face the electric chair if he did what he did in this country. I mean... <laughs> We've seen the president time and again refer to not just whistleblowers, but really anyone who disagrees with him in his administration or tries to block him or from doing what he may want to do from any unilateral use of power and to reveal to the public, perhaps through the media what is actually going on behind the scenes in this administration. He's referred to them as traitors, as spies. You remember the whole angry Democrats line that he put forward about the Russia investigation, mm. about the people who worked as for a special Robert counsel Mueller. for Robert Mueller, a lifelong Republican. Um, you know, it's just the way that he, I think it reinforces the way he views the government, that which is that the, the government works for him and not for the American public. But Justin, some people are saying that this is sort of putting a chilling effect on any future uh, whistleblowers. Yeah, I mean, it's another element of this thing that is a real uh, destruction of norms, which is the president is supposed to, and and government officials are supposed to encourage whistleblowers. There's an entire federal statute that exists because of the idea that if somebody is abusing power, there should be a proper channel rather than leaking to the news media, although we would be happy to, to help facilitate that, <laughs> or, you know, selling secrets to, to some foreign country or whatever it might be, that if you are upset or disturbed by behavior that you perceive is illegal or wrong, that you should have a proper channel to do it. And by all accounts, you know, on either side of the aisle, this whistleblower has done everything exactly by the book. He, and and so there's real legitimate sort of concerns being. Made. I thought it's worth pointing out that the director of national intelligence, I'm sure, to Donald Trump's uh, displeasure, told Congress that the whistleblower did absolutely did the right thing. Okay, we're just about out of time, but I want to ask each of you quickly, uh, starting with you, Ginger. Um, God forbid that there should be any political dimension to this at all, or that we should even consider whether this has anything to do with politics. But let's face it, it does. So uh, quickly, what impact do you think this issue, impeachment, has on the election, 2020, in the short term in the primary and in the long term in the general? Just a quick comment of each of you. Yeah, my colleague uh, Jim Olivant and I have a story today about how Biden is trying to make this play to his advantage, right? He raised, had his second best week fundraising this week. Um, he's trying to make uh, the rest of the party rally behind him in opposition uh, to Donald Trump. I mean, that's still to be seen if he doesn't get bogged down by this, but I think that there's an opportunity if he plays it right uh, to, to benefit. And then on, on Trump's side, you know, when you talk to Trump's campaign, uh, Tim Murtaugh will say, we were so prepared and we've raised all this money and we're right and the American people know that this is a Biden problem and not a Trump problem. But when you see Trump saying things like that in, in, in closed doors, you see him on the tarmac Thursday afternoon just swinging. You see the frenzy of tweets we got on Friday morning. Clearly, he is nervous. Um, that's the behavior he engaged in, engages in when he's nervous. And I think that you can tell there's a risk of a political ramification for him simply by watching his actions. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think we've seen that this week. Yeah. Sabrina? Look, I think it's so hard to, in the political soap opera that is this Trump presidency, understand what may or may not move the needle. Um, how much of this is baked in is part of what we're going to be assessing for the next uh, year as we mm-hmm. get to move toward November. Um, but I do genuinely think that this is so much more cut and dry than the Russia investigation or anything we've seen before. I think that bears repeating. 
that this is right out there for every. It's it's clearly the president asking a a foreign government to investigate his political opponent. So, Justin, maybe 2020 was going to be this any, anyway, but does this make 2020 more than ever a just a referendum on Donald Trump? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I take uh, the points that Ginger made, which are this might boost Joe Biden somewhat. In the and short the, term. And that there yeah. is a, there's a risk that when Trump feels sort of caged or boxed in that he does something even sort of, more outrageous to, to, <laughs> to move the needle. But a point that I've made to, to our editors, and this might be deeply cynical, but as we kind of think about this week is, okay, find me the voter out in America that said, uh, I'm not sure, I might vote Democrat, I might vote Republican, I voted for Donald Trump last time, the Access Hollywood tape didn't move me, Charlottesville didn't move me, the Mueller report didn't move me, but now that I hear this thing about Ukraine, I'm going to switch. And I'm just not sure that those people actually... How many stay home? How many stay home? I mean, that's the bigger question. I know we have to move on, but really quickly, I I think that the key here, and I talked to Democrat strategists about this, is how they frame this. And what someone told me, which I thought was pretty smart, is we can't make this about impeachment. It has to be about corruption. And Mm -hmm. so the messaging has to be about rooting corruption out of Washington, which is actually why I think Elizabeth Warren is also someone who stands to gain because she, from the outset, had mm-hmm. been calling for impeachment and she's running an anti-corruption platform as, and this fits sort of very well into that message that she's uh, had in her ads on the stump. Um, but it really, it basically needs to be not about impeaching the president is a positive, but actually that it, that's, this is what someone told me, that it's a tragedy for America, but this is a responsibility that we have as members of Congress and the oversight branch of the U.S. government. Okay, there are so many dimensions of this, and we've just <laughs> just touched the surface of, of a lot of them. But thank you, Sabrina and Justin and Ginger, and we always ask you to come prepared. Uh, while all of this was going on, was there anything that particularly struck you this week that you found um, that just, just you had to stop and pay attention to it and think about that story? You want to start us off? Ginger? Yeah, just a fun story if you need okay. a break yeah. from all yes, of this um, uh, sadness for America. Um, <laughs> is uh, In The Athletic, they have a great piece about tailgating at my alma mater, LSU, uh, and the different types of jambalaya, um, and the roots and the backgrounds of the different types of jambalaya, and the future of jambalaya. And it's about football, and it's about tailgating, and it's about generations and teaching your children. Um, and it's a really great piece. And so uh, In The Athletic, I highly recommend it uh, to check that, that that piece out. That's a classic tailgating jambalaya. I mean, I, I think of more barbecue or hot dogs or something. In but. Louisiana at LSU football games, it's big, giant pots of jambalaya. That is um, my comfort food. And oh, um, it's a right. great explanation of that dish. Go, go for it. Justin. Uh, the thing that through, through this entire kind of impeachment frenzy this, this week that I just found so delicious, and, and every once in a while you get some little thing in the Trump White House that just (laughs) illustrates everything else so perfectly was after the release of the the transcript, I think on Wednesday, the White House blasted out talking points, but accidentally sent them (laughs) to Democratic offices on Capitol Hill. And then quickly realized their mistake, tried to recall the email, which anybody who's ever sent an email by mistake realizes only highlight. Everybody's like, oh, they're they're recalling this. I have to check it out. But it it really, to me, illustrates some of the fundamental problems that this White House is going to have as 
this ramps up, they're not prepared for it. They're not fully staffed, and the staff that they have are people who normally wouldn't be within 100 yards of a Mm -hmm. White House. And and (laughs) so they're going to have a real issue as they try to combat this. That was a funny moment, I thought that. Uh, How about you, Sabrina? I want to preface this by saying I think Labradoodles are adorable, as are most dogs. Um, They seem lovely. I don't have one, but that's what I've heard. However, the creator of this beloved breed says that uh, coming up with the breed is one of his life's biggest regrets because he initially did it decades ago uh, to try and create a hypoallergenic service animal uh, for a woman in Hawaii. Little did he know that at some point breeders, especially uh, those who operate in inhumane ways, puppy mills and all the like, would start this frenzy around Labradoodles. And they have, especially in recent years, become an incredibly popular breed of dog. Um, some of them have had some issues as well, which may stem from the ways in which, which likely stems from the ways in which they are bred. So he says, sorry, this was not what I was trying to do. They're, they're, they're cute, but this, they really probably shouldn't be bred anymore. Too late now. It's too have. late now. I've seen great <laughs> photos of them on Instagram. Every other person I know seems to have one. But they call uh, them freaks or something. <laughs> because they do apparently yeah. have some emotional issues yeah. as well as some mm-hmm. growth and development issues. I mean, again, this kind of re- goes back to the uh, what I would say PSA: adopt a pet. If you're going to get a pet, go to a shelter and adopt a pet. So my favorite story. Um, I want to bring you all the good news. As someone who flies often, I was delighted to, to see this. Uh, Japan Japan Airlines is starting something new. I hope all the other airlines pick it up. And that is when you go to get your choose your seat on the plane, they provide you with a baby map. And so that you can see on the seat, uh, seat seating chart whether there is going to be a baby alongside of you or in back of you or in front of you. Um, babies, uh, they, they're identifying as from anywhere from eight days old to two years old. So that span, um, which I think is delightful, um, that may, may, you can maybe get some sleep or you wouldn't otherwise by choosing a different seat. But I really hope that they follow through with this and add maybe um, the one I want to see is that what bothers me most on the planes are when there's a single man or woman who's very lonely and wants to tell their entire life story to the person alongside of them, <laughs> which usually starts out with, oh, are you going home? Or are you, whatever. You can tell when they're going to start. business or visiting friends? I also would like an animal indicator because I, oh, I did a cross-country flight that would be good with a cat that cried the whole five there hours. There you go. At yeah. least it was yes. an elaborate. Noise-canceling headphones. Noise-canceling headphones worth every pound. My husband swears by them. Or he just pretends he's sleeping and that he can't hear me. So I just want you to know that uh, the baby map is a first start. They've got a long, long ways to go. Uh, Hey, great panel today. Great discussion. Thank you. And not that we didn't have a lot of uh, information and a lot of uh, reason to talk about. Ginger Gibson, great to see you. Uh, Justin Sink and Sabrina Siddiqui. This is where you usually hear my parting shot. I offer my parting shot. Um, but we've got something very special for you today in, instead of my parting shot. Uh, yesterday, I happened to be on the campus of the University of Virginia in Charlottesville when all of this news of impeachment and uh, the impeachment inquiry hit the news. Uh, and so I stopped by the Center for Politics and had a chance to talk to the great Larry Sabato, who is really Dean of American Political Analyst, 
sitting in his office at the Center for Politics, you'll see that Larry Sabato didn't hold back. Have we ever seen anything in politics like we've seen in the this week, the last couple of days? Well, you know, of course, you're too young to remember Watergate, but during Watergate, uh, I think there were plenty of weeks like this. But the difference is, as bad as Nixon was and all the terrible things he did, we don't have time to recount them, but uh, there's never been a president like Donald Trump, and I don't mean that as a compliment. Uh, and so everything that can happen either has happened or will happen because he'll force it to happen. Uh, he'll be a permanent example of American history of what not to do. The memorandum or the notes or whatever of his transcript with President Zelensky of, uh, of the Ukraine, the president tweeted out, oh, now that they've seen the transcript, Democrats are going to apologize. This completely exonerates me. You read the transcript. It's five pages. What was your take? It was damning. Look, no one can read that and not interpret this as a quid pro quo. Uh, you don't have to use the words quid and quo to get a quid pro quo. Any idiot can read that and understand exactly what he was saying. And the president of Ukraine clearly understood uh, he was clever about sidestepping it to the extent he could. He was depending on America for a lot of money. He even did it uh, at the United Nations when he and Trump had a press conference together. He was very careful. He wouldn't let Trump put those words in his mouth. No pressure, no pressure, which is his new substitute for no collusion, no collusion. It's the same old script. And for his base, that's enough. And I mean, clearly, as you say, he didn't say quid pro quo. He said, I need a favor. <laughs> yeah, right. And I need you to talk to my attorney general. Yes, which, which we need to get to the bottom of. Everyone needs to know, was this guy involved at all? And it's actually damning just to consider that Trump would invoke him. He's so certain of Barr's support. He wouldn't have done that with Jeff Sessions, that's for sure. And right. Sessions was no liberal. I've never seen him take a liberal stand on anything. So we need you to talk to uh, the attorney general about how we can get some political dirt on my potential Democratic opponent. And while you're at it, talk to my hatchet man, Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, and, and kept saying, Giuliani's a great guy. You're just going to love him. Uh, if he Googled Giuliani, he'd get the other side of the story. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a clear case of a president inviting in the head of a foreign government, not very far from Russia, uh, into our next campaign. Did he learn nothing from two years of investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election? And of course, the answer is no. Right. No. And then we have, and we know about this because uh, a member of the intelligence community, what's your thought then? That a member of the intelligence community listening in on the phone call who is so alarmed by what he hears that he files a whistleblower complaint. Well, there are a lot of rumors going around today about uh, who it might be. And the best guess from people I trust is a CIA officer, which right there is going to add some credibility if that turns out to be true. Uh, so uh, what does it say? It says that 
even someone who probably is of a conservative orientation, that would be my guess, uh, who has worked in the bureaucracy for many, many years in the intelligence bureaucracy, had never heard anything like this. This is what everyone says who's been around the system for a long time. This has never happened before. Nixon tried to do it in 1968, running as a non-incumbent. He tried to foul up and did foul up the negotiations with the president of South Vietnam for a peace treaty, and that was wrong. But this is an incumbent president who holds in his hands not just all the powers of the office, but also a ton of money that foreign governments want. And that was his leverage. This is absolutely outrageous. And I'm shocked, as always, that everybody doesn't agree on this much. Do you think it crosses the line to impeachable offense? Oh, of course it does. Look, Congress determines what an impeachable offense is. Treason, (laughs) this might qualify. Bribery, in some respects. High crimes and misdemeanors, certainly. And every Congress gets to interpret what that language means. And I think the House will interpret it correctly in this case and will, in the end, impeach him unless material comes out that we can't imagine right now, and I don't think it exists, that would exonerate him. Do you think Nancy Pelosi did the right thing in kind of applying the brakes on impeachment until this broke? Absolutely. Well, look, I trust her judgment. She's been around a long time. Doesn't mean she's perfect. Doesn't mean she always makes the right decisions. But I do think in this case, she had a good sense of critical mass. And she waited until the critical mass was there. And it only happened uh, really because of this new uh, controversy involving the Ukraine. And the tipping point was the group of uh, moderate suburban Democrats elected in November of of, uh, 2018 who published an op-ed piece uh, saying it's time to go to impeachment. And she helped with the piece, apparently. I didn't know this until very recently. She helped them frame it. And it looks like that the Democrats have decided, with under Pelosi's leadership, that the focus of the impeachment inquiry is going to be the call with Zelensky, the the, the promise of uh, we'll give you some help if you help us in our political campaign, and all the other stuff that they've been looking at, not going to be forgotten, but will be back burner. Let's say. yes. Is that a right, right, right approach for Democrats? It, it absolutely is. And I know some are disappointed and they'd like to focus on the terrible treatment of immigrant children and the payoff to the women. And there are loads of things that you could include in this. But if you throw in everything, including the kitchen sink, it's going to dilute the impact of the most important item, which is this, it is the Ukraine. Uh, so I think she's made the right decision. The other reason is, very shortly, we're going to be right in the midst of voting for a presidential campaign. And you do not want this overlapping with the presidential campaign simply because it will be the black hole attracting all media sunlight. The candidates won't get any sunlight. You've already seen their story fade from the front pages while this is going on. And that's it. That's a wrap for this week's uh, Roundtable, uh, Roundtable podcast. You are a big part of it, so we thank you very, very much for joining us. And please, if you haven't already done so, become a Bill Press Pod subscriber and reviewer. Again, it's free and it's easy. All you got to do is go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or TuneIn. Search for the Bill Press Pod, click to subscribe, and then click to give us a five-star review. With every subscriber and every review, we gain more and more listeners every week and keep growing the podcast. So thanks so much for your help and your support. 
on the next podcast, we'll hear the entire my entire interview with Larry Sabato. Uh, how will the impeachment uh, issue dominate the 2020 election? And is momentum really swinging toward the Democrats? We thank our panel again today, Ginger Gibson, Justin Sink, and Sabrina Siddiqui. Meanwhile, stay strong. Keep fighting the good fight. We'll see you in the next edition of the Bill Press Pod with Larry Sabato. Larry Sabato.